the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Good afternoon, a little after 4. It's Tim DeMoss and the Tim DeMoss Show on AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. Thank you for tuning in. Forecast, nice day, huh? I'll take it. Been uh, around 60 for part of the day, dropping to about 53 later tonight. Cloudy skies, make it a shower tonight and or overnight. A lot of clouds tomorrow, a few more showers, especially in the evening. 64 the high, though, so not bad. Flyers are home this evening at 7 against Washington. Sixers are home tomorrow night, 7 o'clock against Sacramento. And this afternoon, the Phillies are in a nail-biter. Uh, I think they're well, one of the games. It's 11-1. to 1. And uh, the other game, they won 4-3, to three, though. They have, like, a split squad thing going on. So, 4-3 over the Rays and currently losing 11-1 to one to the Pirates. Can't win them all. Uh, we are looking forward to having Marina James in studio with us. Marina has an organization that's really cool you want to hear about. It's called Marina's Kids, and they help uh, orphanages in Russia. I'm just going to chat about that, learn a little culture uh, in, in Ukraine, I should say. Uh, and we're also going to do some more learning. I like learning. With a longtime friend who's joining us now, Rick Gazandi of Remax Legacy, the world famous Rick Gazandi. Hello, my friend. Hey, Tim. Hello. <laughs> Owner, Remax Legacy, Chalfont PA. When I first met you, there was no legacy in that name. It was just a little old Remax. I'm not even sure the M was Actually, capitalized. <laughs> almost, maybe not. Yeah, it's been a while. That's a, that's a good point. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah. Well, you've been doing this for quite a while. Yes, 1994. You should get a plaque this year. 25 years. <laughs> okay. Can you call Dave Lineker for me out in Denver? Sure. And remind him to do that? I yeah. Think Dave and I go way back. They don't pay the bills, though, just so you know, the plaques. No, but they look good. You can dust them off once in a while and look at them while you sip your Diet Coke. There you go. You still drinking that stuff? Yes, sir. I know. One of my few vices. <laughs> I'm not giving up. Rick <laughs> Rick has been a longtime friend of the radio station, and every now and again, I like to appear smarter than I am by bringing in people who can share good info. And so today, Rick said, yeah, I got some time, and uh, I wanted to ask you, because correct me if I'm wrong, but spring is on the way here. Is spring a pretty strong time for people to start buying and sell homes? Yes. Spring is the best time of year um, to do both. It's, it's our, our heaviest uh, season, where we probably do about 75% of our business. Wow. Great time to list your home. You have lots of inventory, good time to buy, a lot more options. So, yeah, spring is definitely the best. What do you think about Is it just a good time for people in life where they still have the rest of the year to recuperate from all the moving and and get settled compared to summer, they're on vacations or whatever it might be? Yeah, exactly right. So holidays are over. People are tired of the weather. We change the clocks. So everyone starts getting, you know, the bug to move. Everyone starts getting antsy. <laughs> and it's the way it is. That's life. Yeah. Once, once the Eagles are out of the playoffs, believe it or not, we get a tick up. <laughs> I believe it. And then, yep. And then when we start getting the longer days, it really starts getting busy. Like this week, next week, we'll, we'll start 
jamming. Okay. Well, I'm glad we caught you before that happened. So let's just say on a very general level, we could walk people through. Maybe they've been talking about it, like you said, and thinking, oh, maybe we should sell our house or whether it's downsized or they need to grow or whatever it is. Take me through the process of what's important. You know, what's square one or two or three of this process of if I'm thinking about selling, what do I do? The main thing is you really want to meet with a professional um, to evaluate your home. You know, I have a nice video that I send people called Fit to Sell. You know, what are the steps that I need to take to prepare my home for the market? Okay. You know, decluttering, painting, repairs, landscaping. I mean, there's a number of things that you can do to your home to prepare for the market that will really add a lot of value to the property. Um decrease the days on market, which is real big. So that, that's the first thing you want to do. You want to meet with a professional realtor, you know, broker, you know, sit down with them and go over, like, what do I need to do? Okay. It's really, really important. And then along with that, you'll be able to sit with your, your agent and say, okay, now, what's my house worth? You know, what can I sell it for? Pricing your home correctly in the beginning is really, really important. Mm. Pricing it correctly will get you more money. Asking for more does not get you more. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> but I want $5 million. That's exactly right. It'll just sit and sit. Your days of market will, will you know, keep increasing. People will think something's wrong with your home, and you end up getting less. Be smart. Price it correctly in the beginning to sell. You'll get a full price, maybe multiple offers, and boom, you get yeah. sold. Rick Kazandi with us. He's the owner of Remax Legacy in Chalfont. If you want to find out more about him, the website's just his name, Rick Gazandi, spelled G-I-S-O-N-D-I.com. Uh, you mentioned there a second ago, also before you go on, the, the fixing the house up or whatever. I'm sure there are certain things that are worth doing that you won't sink too much money in because after you do too much, you're like, well, you might as well stay, um, versus things that make it look the way you always wanted, but now you just put a ton of money into it and you're not even going to be there to, you know, Right, I'm sure there's certain things that are like, do that. This one is not as important uh, to do. The resale value is not going to not going to help you when it comes to selling as much, right? You probably even sort right. through those things too. Right, so you have to be careful. Right, you don't want to spend too much money, and then you won't see the return. Yeah. So, and my philosophy is, I mean, I, I like people to spend spend less and do a little bit more. So, decluttering things like that, um, minimizing, you know, removing furniture you know, moving furniture around, things like that. That's, yeah. that's where I like to focus on. I do have a staging company that I use that I recommend that will go out there at no cost to the client and say, hey, here's what I recommend. Sometimes they, they, they suggest you take your furniture out and put their furniture in, you know, if, if your furniture is worn. So there's a lot of little things that you can do that don't cost a whole lot of money okay. that I really, really push for. And one of the main things is curb appeal. When a person pulls up to your home, Nine times out of ten, they know if they want that house or not. Hmm. By the way, it feels when they pull up. Yeah, you know all those other <clears throat> excuse me, all those other factors notwithstanding. Do you find that the buyers and uh, sellers, well, those who are buying, kind of go with that overall feel? Like it just more than the practical, it has a certain amount of rooms or something. But just like this feels like the right where we're meant to be, kind of a thing. Yep, residential real estate is more emotional than anything. You know, investors, that's different. Commercial is different. But residential, yeah. you know, you're looking at this is my home. This is where I want to raise my family. This is where I want to downsize, you know, whatever it is. But it's it's definitely uh, more emotional. And, and, and you need to, you know, you need to play that as when you're listing your home. With the, with the flowers in the front yard, the nice mulch, it's a big deal when a buyer pulls up to a house. I bet. I bet. Now, and you mentioned the yep. pricing thing, too. 
uh, I'll, I'll raise my hand and admit I often am on the simple side and optimistic side. And that can, and being a guy, I don't know if this is stereotyping, but uh, everything will be all right. I don't need to listen to too many people. I'll just kind of figure this out on myself, whether it's selling it on my own or whether it's be, just being uh, willing to pause long enough to listen to, like you said, an, a professional agent who can actually help you price it at the right number right out of the chute because you, you don't have time to experiment and say, whoops, I just gave away 50 grand I didn't have to give away. Or I didn't, like you said, if you price it too high and now it's sitting around, people are looking at it like it's a, a stale donut, you know. So Yeah, and, and, we, and we do more of that, Tim. You know, yeah, pricing is really important, you know, staging, getting it ready for the market. But then what happens when you get an offer? Is there an offer that you should take? Does the buyer have the right financing? Do they have job stability? But what's their credit like? You know, what inspections are they asking for? When you get to the inspections, are the buyer's requests reasonable? Are they being ridiculous? You know, there's, there's stucco that we deal with. Stucco issues is a big deal. Mold, you know, radon, lead, lead paint. I mean, you know, zoning issues, you know, boundary issues. There's a lot of things that once you have the, the deal under contract and you're feeling great, there's a lot of hiccups and steps that you need to go through. You know, you, you, you want somebody that knows what they're doing, who has experience, who has your interest, you know, your interest first above anything else. And but there's a lot to it. So the, the for sale by owner thing, obviously I'm not a big fan. <laughs> yeah. You listen to Tim DeMoss show, AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. Rick Gazzandi, uh on the phone with us here for a few minutes. He's the owner of Remax Legacy in Chalfont, Pennsylvania. Going to take a short break and come back with Rick in just a moment. AM 560 WFIL. WFIL.com. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM560 WFIL and WFIL.com. AM560 WFIL, WFIL.com, the Tim DeMoss Show. It's 414. Thanks for tuning in on this fine Thursday, 14th of March, 2019. We're looking forward to having Marina James uh, check in with us from Marina's Kids, a uh, uh, wonderful uh, organization that ministers to orphans in the Ukraine. But before we do that, we are continuing our conversation. Very much enjoying chatting with Rick Gazzani, the owner of Remax Legacy in Chalfont, Pennsylvania. Has much changed over the last, I'm guessing, the last 25 years, even how people shop for a home. I, I would think if it was me, I'd want to just drive around the neighborhood, take my time and and, and enjoy the process. But has it become a, a tremendous amount of an online thing now and people don't even bother driving around? Right. Yes, it's changed a lot since I've gotten to the business. The way it works, it's about 96% of all buyers go online for about six months and they look at you know, different websites, you know, remax.com, realtor.com, things like that. Yeah. And they'll look and they'll look and they'll look and they'll, they'll see virtual tours, photos, they may do some drive-bys, they may go to a couple of houses. And that happens, you know, like, I don't know, six months on average. When they're starting getting more serious is when they hook up with their real estate agent, and then they, you know, they say, "Okay, create a portal for me. Here's what I'm looking for. Let's get pre-approved." And then you get serious, and they start actually going inside the homes and you know really looking at them. But yeah, the, the internet actually the internet scared everybody when it came out. We 
we all thought we were going to lose our jobs. It's, it's done quite the opposite. It's made our jobs um, much easier, much better, much more thorough. It's, it's great. I was on your site, too, uh, against rickgazondi.com, R-I-C-K-G-I-S-O-N-D-I.com, and noticed, uh, you know, there are a number of houses. You could you could scroll through, see some of the options. One of the reasons to be associated with uh, an agent, I would think, also is you have uh, context more than just the one home they're looking at when they're thinking about uh, buying or selling. Even if I'm saying I'm selling, we've been talking about selling more than anything, but if I'm going to sell, I want to know, well, oh, by the way, uh, you're the only house up for sale in this whole whatever, so don't you have to sell as fast versus there are seven more in the next four blocks. So, you know, either hold off on selling or be aware if this is a decent offer, you should take it if you really got to move, right? So you offer that context of what the market is currently is at the time. Yeah, and, and right, and that information is powerful. I mean, to know whether you're representing a seller or a buyer, that information is it's big. It, it can save people tens of thousands of dollars. You know, I, I could show a home to somebody for, you know, 275000 and they, I always get the same question if they like it. Well, what do you think we should offer, Rick? You know, <laughs> and, and you need to be right. And I would, it's two twenty five. I'll tell them this, this is way overpriced. But if I think it's $300, i will tell them that too. So that's good information to have. You, you just can't, you can't have that knowledge, Tim, without being on this side of the desk, without being, you know, having access to this information, you know, day after day after day. It just, it comes to the point where you can pull down the street and walk into a house and say, here's the number. It's, it's just automatic. Yeah. But that's, that's invaluable <laughs> to the clients, buyer and seller. Let me ask you one last question. If I remember correctly, at uh, one point in the past, we had a conversation years ago about a buyer's agent. Is that correct? That concept still? Yeah. Okay. Maybe, can you just explain what the buyer's agent, uh, from, the, from that side of things, if people are thinking of buying a home this spring? Yeah, back in the day, even before I got into real estate, it was always seller's agent. Everyone the, everyone worked for the seller. The seller paid the commission, and the buyers never had any true representation. So they changed that now where, yes, the seller still pays our commission. So as a buyer, you're not paying your buyer agent a commission, but you're able to hire someone like, like myself to represent your interests. So it's just a, a three-page document you sign basically saying, hey, I like Rick. I want him to work with me, represent my interests, and, oh, by the way, I'm not paying him. But yeah. in real estate, everything has to be in writing, and so for that relationship uh, to be legitimate and official, it's, just a, it's a three-page contract. It can be a day-to-day thing, a month, whatever. It's very simple. But, yes, every buyer, pretty much every buyer in our market now is working with the buyer agent. Okay. It's very standard, something that you positively want. You definitely need some kind of representation. So rather than the concept of, oh, we're driving by, we see that house, that's nice, let's walk up, and maybe you can do that initially but you'd want someone experienced to help you, and it's not going to cost you to bring an agent in to help you buy, is what I'm hearing. Is that up And if you knock on someone's door or you call the, the person on the sign, keep in mind they're working for the seller, so they have an obligation to that seller. That's where their duties and loyalty lie. So even if you call that seller and say, hey, or that seller agent say, hey, I want you to show me this house and write me the offer, they're not representing you unless – then it gets complicated. There's a thing called dual agency, which I don't want to get in the middle of that. But okay. it, it's hard, to, in my opinion, anyway, to represent two people equally. Sure, so you just sure. Want to keep that in mind, you know. And, and as a listing agent, I want to represent my seller. You know, I don't want to represent a stranger buyer as well. Right, and right, right. But the commission concept of where you know the, the like I'm selling my home, Rick is going to help me sell it. Okay, Rick, here's your part of it. 
instead of that, that money's still there, but now instead of all of it going to you for helping me sell, some of that goes to the person who came with the buyer, right? Is that is, so? Just so that, so I, yeah, yeah, is that right? Okay, yes, yeah, yeah, and, and that's and that's the margin. I don't know what, what the percentage is. It's probably ninety percent of all of our deals. It's, it's pretty high. Yeah, that's good. It's good for people to know what they're. You know, it's a big deal. It's probably the I guess the biggest thing you'll ever buy theoretically in your lifetime. So it's it, worth it is, and and it should be an enjoyable experience. The whole process. Yeah, there's going to be some stressful moments with, with things, but it, it really should be an. Especially residential, it should be enjoyable. It should be fulfilling. It should be peaceful. It really should be a peaceful transaction. And when you hear nightmares about, oh my gosh, the settlement was four hours long, and like, honestly, Tim, in twenty-five years, maybe once or twice, that's happened to me. <laughs> Just if you, if you do your work, you do it the right way, it's, it's all good. Yeah. So don't, well, be, don't be afraid. It, it, it's a really, it should be a very enjoyable process. That's great. That's great. Well, it's great info. It's great talking with you. Rick Gazzandi, been our guest on the Tim DeMoss Show. He's the owner of Remax Legacy in Chalfont. Been doing this for 25 years. His site's rickgazzandi.com, R-I-C-K-G-I-S-O-N-D-I.com. We'll have that in our podcast description later on as well. We, we put all the uh, recaps of the shows and the show itself up about an hour after each program. So that'll be coming up later on. Uh, all that to say, which has been great information, it could save people thousands of dollars, the most important question, which I have not asked you, and I'll ask you at the very end, is how do you feel about the Eagles signing Deshaun, uh, trading for Deshaun Jackson? I love it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love it. I like what they've done so far. Stretch the field, man. Come on. Open up the middle. Let Ertz get in there. Come on. I love it. I think it's going to be a great situation for Carson now and uh, for Wentz as he gets back on the field. So I agree with you. I can't wait. I'm very excited for the season, truthfully. Yeah. And the Phillies. Yeah, that's true too, Bryce and Bryce and company, and, and people yeah. don't know this about you unless they see your picture. But you and Bryce have similar hair. I'm not used to. <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. That's okay. Well, enjoy your afternoon, my friend. Thanks for checking in. All right, my brother. Talk All right. To you. Yeah, sounds good. All right, see you, Tim. Uh, yes, yeah. Rick Gazzani, owner, Remax Legacy, Shalfont, Pennsylvania. RickGazzani.com for details. R I C K G I S O N D I. Com. Back with more in just a moment. The Tim DeMoss Show. Marina James of Marina's Kids in studio with us. AM560, WFIL, WFIL.com. It's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. It's 426 AM 560 WFIL. WFIL.com continuing the Tim DeMoss Show. Glad to bring in studio from Marina's Kids, Marina James. Hello, how are you? Hi, how are you? Good to see you. Welcome to our wonderful studio. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, with Marina's Kids, marinaskids.info is the website. Also on Facebook under Marina's Kids, M-A-R-I-N-A, Kids, uh, on Facebook. And um, you have a ministry that's pretty cool. I wanted to have people have a chance to hear about it. So just share a little bit about the overview of what Marina's Kids is about. 
Well, um, we started about eight years ago when I was able to go to Ukraine, where basically I was born the country of my birth, to visit an orphanage. And uh, when I got back to America, I was calling those children from the orphanage my kids, Hmm. my Ukrainian kids. And so we started a nonprofit, and we called it Marina's Kids. And it started with one orphanage in a small village in Odessa region. And as the kids aged out and moved to technical schools and got spread into other orphanages, I was invited to those locations as well. And so now, fast forward eight years later, orphanages are closing down because there is a structure change in the country. Hmm. And um, I don't visit orphanages as much as I used to. It used to be a regular thing. I would come into an orphanage, face paint, spend time with the kids, get to know them. As they aged out, I would be there to mentor them, to kind of help them along. Now we build social centers. Uh, We have two. Uh, one of them is in Ismail, and that one has a gym for teenage boys to get them off the streets. Hmm. It has a shower. It has laundry machines for people to do their laundry, and that would be teenagers who are in tech school who do not have laundry machines. Uh, it has hot shower, which also sometimes complicated in tech school. Hmm. We have clubs for boys and girls. Sometimes we're called by uh, social um, workers in the city and asked to take a homeless person to shower them and wash them up too. We always have hot soup there so that anyone can come in and eat something, like a soup kitchen. Mm. Uh, We have clubs for boys, girls, uh, mothers of handicapped children, single mothers, and families in crisis. So this is one of the the centers. And where is that? And that one is in um, Odessa region, Ismail. Okay, so that was the first one. That's the first one. The second second one is for the Bettered Women Shelter. We have been building it since last February, so a little bit over a year. It is complete as far as the building goes. We didn't have enough funds to open it yet when... People started calling us from local areas saying we have a mother uh, with three children and her husband is beating her up. She has no place to go. It is not safe. Can you please take her in? Because we know you have been building something like this already. Is it ready? Yeah. And so now we have two mothers and six kids and one girl who is 24 who was in a really bad situation. And we pulled her out of there too. She was also previous an orphan and no one cared about her at all. And she was desperate. Mm. And what she did was... She eventually stole a phone number of the man that she was living with because he was locking her up when he would go to work without anything. And so when he was sleeping, she took his phone number, uh, his phone, uh, looked up the phone number for her old orphanage director, and it would be a director I've worked with for many years, called her up. I happened to be in the country during that week, and we happened to be in Odessa region, and so uh, my volunteers, while I was making other... I was doing other things, meetings, and my volunteers went, found her door to door in the area that she was supposed to live and picked her up and took her to, you know, where I was staying. Uh, We cleaned her up, called an ambulance because she was shaking. She was not doing well. And now she's doing awesome. She's cooking. She's cleaning. She's helping with those kids that came in with those two mothers. Yes. And she already even has a job offer in a local um, uh, hospital where she will get a room and she will basically be cleaning lady there. Wow. But that second center, you're saying she would have gone there straight, except it wasn't available to be open? because it... It, it, We weren't ready to open it. We had yeah. no funds to run it. We have no funds for food. We had no funds for electricity. We have no funds for the worker who should be 24-7 there, like a psychologist and, you know, Is it still the person. case, though? 
Oh, yeah, still yeah, look- we're barely pulling it together. People are donating, I think, 10 kilos of fish the other day. Someone told me someone brought over because they knew that there are people living there. Wow. <laughs> and someone gave them, like, chickens. So now they have enough food to eat for a little bit at least. And... um Local villages are donating clothing for those kids. And so uh, people of Ukraine are pulling together their resources so that those women, you know... And these are the centers. How did you refer to them again? The ministry, the service center or... uh, Uh, Social centers. Social centers. But uh, it's our... um, We envisioned it. This was our... Our baby. Separate from the it. orphanages themselves, yes, which are already is, there. This is what happened after we realized orphanages are closing down. The kids are still in the families. No one is going to take them away because there's no orphanages to put them into. And now the kids are suffering before they would be taken away and the mother would be left without kids. And sometimes mothers, they just can't do anything. They're not bad mothers. The yeah. goal is to not separate the family. Right. So now we take mothers from bad situation with the children, and instead of putting them in an orphanage, we are providing food baskets for a lot of families who are in bad situations and uh, yeah. donations of clothing and uh, pulling out mothers who are just being abused. Wow. Wow. It's all part of the ministry of Marina's Kids. Again, marinaskids.info has more info, M-A-R-I-N-A, kids.info. 431 as we continue our program brief check on the forecast calling for a cloudy evening low 53 a lot of clouds tomorrow a few showers especially tomorrow night 64 the high though uh, flyers are home this evening against washington six or home tomorrow against sacramento phillies uh won and lost they won the uh, first game 4-3 over tampa bay and lost 11-2 to pittsburgh in spring training action we'll take a short break continue our conversation with marina james from marina's kids right here it's tim demoss show on am 560 wfil and WFIL.com. It's the Tim DeMoss Show podcast, available at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening. It's 435 of the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL, and WFIL.com. Thank you for tuning in today. Continue our conversation. Marina James from Marina's Kids in studio with us and giving us a little uh, world perspective as uh, the Bible talks about in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so it's great, I think, to step back and realize God's bigger than New Jersey or Pennsylvania or Delaware or America. And so we're stepping into the lives of folks in Ukraine. So give us a little culture. What's it like, uh, culturally speaking, in, in Ukraine? Well, um, as far as the culture of the country, used to be under... Um the rule of uh, communists. So no God was allowed. I grew up there when there is was no God there. Really? How, how I, long were you there for? Were you there for most of your life or much? 15 years. Okay. I was born there and I was there for 15 years. Wow. And uh, the only, well, actually I'm Jewish yeah. uh, by blood. I didn't know I was Jewish. It was hidden from me until I was eight. Wow. And I only found out because someone made fun of me. And I came home saying, mom, it can't be right. I'm Ukrainian. I was born in Ukraine. And they said, well, actually... Wow. But all of that was hidden. There was no ceremonies, no customs, like, so that we would live a normal life and no one would make fun of us. And Uh, then... That's um, why. So your parents obviously knew, but they didn't tell you, so... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Christianity was there, also hidden. There's hidden Baptist churches and movements at that time, which I did not know about. But um, I did not know about God or the Bible, the way actually I learned about the Bible was from reading Three Musketeers. 
Really? Yeah, because Athos <laughs> always talked this book, the Bible, and everybody knew what the Bible was. And so I came to my mother and I said, Mom, what is this book they're talking about? The Bible, everybody knows. And this book, what the Bible is, do we have it? Can I read it? And she said, no, sorry, it's a legal book. We don't have it. We're not going to have it. See, I'll admit, I don't think I've read The Three Musketeers. So it's woven throughout the storyline? Are they? Yeah. They because, reference it or do they, do they actually quote a passage here or there? Or I honestly do not remember if they quote the passages, but they definitely reference it because Athos was studying to be a pastor, a minister. Interesting. And okay. so he constantly referred to the Bible. So God will get his God, – God will do it however he needs to do it. Okay. Yeah. So then uh, when I left the country, I was able to read a Bible. I read it in three days. You came to America at that point? Or? I went through Europe. Our immigration took us through Europe. I read the Bible in three days when it was given to me by missionaries. Three days, wow. But I didn't read it like a Bible. You know, it's like, oh, you know, a chapter a day. No, I read it I like know. a book, you know, lots of boring stories on uh, who begot whom. Yeah, you know? yeah, there are <laughs> and some, some good dry stories. stretches. There, right. So uh, that um, did not make me a Christian. I became a Christian later when I was already in America. Right now in Ukraine, there is a lot of Christianity. There is some Christianity that is... Um, it's not – it's just on a surface. It's okay. not in people's hearts. It's like something they do. It's like part of their culture. Okay. Uh, and then there's Baptist churches, and then there's denominations we don't even have in America. I don't even know how to explain them. Okay. They're more extreme, you know, no drinking, no pants for girls, stuff like that. Yeah. And it's just like in America. You know, okay. there are different types of churches. There are tif- different types of people. There are different depth of belief. And uh, Yeah. I so work, it's opened up, though, yeah. since you you were – a young, young girl that grown up there. Yeah. So that's a good thing. Yeah. My volunteers are mostly uh, Presbyterian or uh, Baptists. Okay. Um, and so even though we don't, off the bat, um, speak Christianity to those that we work with because uh, really there are stomachs and, you know, they should have the roof over their heads. Bef- like a lot of people, they would not seek God until they actually have something to eat. It would be hard and, to pay attention yeah. if your stomach is rumbling. And so it's we try true. to take care of the physical needs and pray with them and invite them to church. And um, yeah. we have programs. We have, you know, Bible studies. If you're just tuning in, uh, chat with Marina James of, of Marina's Kids. Marina's Kids dot info is their website. M-A-R-I-N-A Kids dot info. Or you can look them up on Facebook, Marina's Kids. And we're just sharing, uh, Marina sharing about the culture as well. Uh, wanted to know about that that perspective of things, but also the ministry itself, working with orphans um, from eight years ago till now, it's grown now. Where you are partnered with a number of these orphanages, and uh, we have been present in easily over thirty locations throughout Ukraine, all over Ukraine, and the, and the services that. Uh, it's to come alongside them, right? You're, they're already doing their own thing, but you're coming to help them maybe repair things or bring sometimes, items to them? Or? Sometimes. If it is in the orphanage, then we might do that. Okay. Or we just come spend time with the kids. Um, yeah. Or we take the kids out of an orphanage to a camp or even to America, to a family in America for a summer. We've yeah. done that before, hosting programs. Um, I've facilitated uh, with a long with other people, adoptions or translated letters and phone calls so that people in America can talk to the kids in Ukraine. Um, 
uh, if their medical needs, we do a lot of that. When a kid might come in into an orphanage with a serious heart problem, and uh, the people in the orphanage, there's this this one girl, um, they put money together so she, to take her to a hospital in the big city. They took her there. The doctor said she needs a surgery or she will die. They turned to us. I think one of our volunteers was there that day because we're working with a different case. She reached out to me. We put, um, you know, a post up. Uh, someone sponsored the surgery. The girl' uh, heart was repaired, wow. and because of that, several people reached out to me with interest to adopt her. Wow. She's now in America. This is two years later, and she's doing very well. What a story! Isn't that yeah. something? So that kind of gets into one of the questions I had for you also, just how people can be involved. I mean, of course, any organization can use financial assistance and help. But can you also – you mentioned the word volunteer. That's on the Ukrainian side of things. You have folks working there. Do you have any volunteers stateside that, or any work that someone stateside could theoretically step in and help with or – I do, yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely, and it would be lovely if someone did. Okay. Um, I could use help in my office, which is uh, local to Philadelphia area, suburbs of Philadelphia. Yeah, I could help being invited and for fundraisers, maybe a talk, maybe a banquet, like a Ukrainian banquet. I love cooking Ukrainian food. <laughs> I can totally organize it and teach everyone who is helping. Um, okay, so where you could come – Speak or do a presentation. People yep. understand more about what the ministry right. is. We collect donations on this end and ship it to Ukraine okay. to uh, our social centers and to families in crisis. What, we distribute it there. What kind of things in general? Is there a any wide clothing variety? from birth to adult? Okay. Except for extra large sizes, we don't really have those uh, size people that we work with. Okay. No liquids, no batteries. Okay. We even do uh, cleats for soccer and prom dresses for girls. Like you name oh, it. Oh wow. Because their girls like to dress up for their prom too, and they don't have money to buy it. That's so very we do cool. That as well, is there a way if people go on the Marina's Kids Info yeah. site, they could uh, they could contact me directly, and based on where they live, I will direct them how to get the donation to me. Okay, that's good. Wow, those are a lot of different ways. Um, uh, I was thinking. Uh, the host thing, too, because you mentioned the girl who got the surgery came here. She wanted being adopted. I mean, theoretically. No, that girl was in Ukraine, fully in Ukraine until she was adopted. She was a, okay. like a toddler at the time. Well, an was she adopted there or here? There. Okay. There. And then the kids that we bring for hosting program, they're yes. older. They're seven and up, seven up to like 16. Okay. And uh, this year we're not running that program, but maybe again in the future. But uh, we work with orphanages and foster families, and the kids come here for life enrichment and to see what it's really like to be in a family and to eat fruit for the summer and have, I don't know, a summer vacation with a family and be tucked in in bed at night by a mother and a father and have a movie night and vitamins and um, it gives them a dream of what a family could really be like as before all they could see what was in the movie and what was in their real life and in real life it's bleak and in the movie it's all too much of a fairy tale Marina James is our guest from Marina's Kids you can find out more at marinaskids.info quick break and we'll wrap up our conversation Marina James here on AM560 WFIL WFIL.com you're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show thanks for tuning in you're listening to a podcast of The Tim DeMoss Show heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM560 WFIL and at WFIL.com Four forty-seven AM five sixty WFIL WFIL.com. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Marina James from Marina's Kids. 
the ministry that serves orphans in Ukraine, checking in and in studio with us today. I know before the break, you were mentioning the host home program, one of the facets of the ministry, not happening this year necessarily, but um, if people were going to be, you know, getting into it for for next year, if it comes around again, is it possible that could be a need to be filled? We have uh, summer programs and winter programs. Summer okay. programs last about um, six weeks to eight weeks. It okay. really depends on how we work it. Specific summers and yeah. winters are about four weeks long. Okay. Uh, each family has to fundraise for the kid to come in. Um, it really depends. If it's siblings, we try to make it cheaper. Uh, but each kid costs us about two and a half to three and a half thousand dollars to bring in, depends on where in the country they're going. Yeah. So, like, say they're going closer to New York, it's cheaper than going to, I don't know, Atlanta. Yeah. Because there's more ticket cost. And we try to see, you know, what the costs are that year, you know, how much does it cost for us to process paperwork and the visas for the kids and how much running around. And we based it. Uh, for specific years, how much it costs, but anywhere between two and a half and three and a half thousand dollars to bring one child for the summer. So I know some folks um, would let maybe potentially to offer their home at some point if that comes back, that program comes back. I just think about that because I know that we've had people in our home, exchange students, and it's a it's it's a good good thing for everybody, and you learn from them too, obviously. So. Um, is that something people at least could file away and think if the program yes, comes definitely, back? definitely. Places to place these people. And we're not the only nonprofit that does it. Yeah. There's a lot. And that's why we stopped doing that program because that program is being run by a lot of organizations. What we do, the social centers, that's unique. And so we decided to keep our resources closer to okay. what I can do is not to just spread it out as much because at the time sure. I had – I have 11 kids. And so at the time, I still had <laughs> yes. seven at home, and I was going through some health issues. And say so that, we had that, that program. Say that one more time. You have how many kids? I have 11 children. 11 children. Four of them are adopted from Ukraine as teenagers. Wow. Five biological and two are brought into the house as unaccompanied minor refugees, Burmese. You have uh, a lot Just about happening. five more left at home. That's it. <laughs> Well, you're doing a lot of great work. I, I'm glad to have you in that people can learn more about how they can be involved, how they can support. And um, it does them a favor, too. I, I like to help our listening audience know and get – and for me, too, I like to learn and think about the fact that really God's much bigger than Montgomery County or Camden County or one particular area. I mean it's really uh, a beautiful thing to understand the, the different facets to the body of Christ and God's creation – even a second ago, you mentioned about making great Ukrainian food. Like, if you if someone invited you to come speak, let's say, and they were making a bit of a Ukrainian theme, uh, whether you cooked, would you bring food, or would they? Would you coach them how to do it? Both. Okay. It depends on the size of event. I have done banquets where I've uh, organized for two hundred people a banquet in eight hours with orphans helping me. And there are caregivers who came to America for a program and a couple of uh, families, you know. So I think it was like 10 to 15 of us in the kitchen making a banquet for 200 people. You can smell it now. Right. I would say <laughs> the most favorite dish that I love in Ukraine is borscht. And it's not the same thing as those canned things you buy in supermarkets. Yes, of course not. And then there is also orphan borscht, which is what orphans make. It is the borscht that does not have meat. It has beans instead for your protein. Okay. So What's that, the rest of it made up? Is a uh, there is a basically a borscht is a soup without grains. 
Okay. So it could be a green borscht. I make it at home a lot because I don't like dealing with beets, which okay. leave red all over. Yes. So green borscht would be like with your spinach, right? Okay. Uh, but it has no grain, which makes the difference between soup and a borscht. Okay. One right. of my kids taught me that, that we adopted. I did not know that before then, See? actually. <laughs> and, I, and now I know too, which is good. And so uh, a red borscht would be the one with beets, cabbage, potatoes, onions, carrots, um, and uh, some kind of protein in orphan borscht that would be your um, tomato paste and your beans. And in uh, regular meat. borscht that would be like cooked meat, whether it could be chicken, pork, or uh, beef. I think we may have made a suggestion for a number of people getting ready for dinner tonight. I think I'll try making that. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's good. Uh, and you travel. But one of the things that we, before we close, I want to make sure people know, uh, for those just tuning in, it's the Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL, WFIL.com. Marina James is with us from Marina's Kids. They reach out and have worked with a lot of orphanages in the Ukraine and at the podcast of this program, again, available uh, about an hour from now. So you can listen through and, and get more info that way. But one of the things that I know is very important to you, and you've, you've touched on it some, but maybe you could talk about it a little bit more, just how important the relationship is. Because it, it sounds like you do a lot of work, but it's really designed to fit the need depending on the child, depending on the orphanage. It's not just do this and then we, you, you do three things. It's, it's kind of like it takes time, though, to do that, to, to love people where they need to be loved, right? Well, it's kind of like being a mother. Think about being a parent. The child needs you in so many different areas. Same thing with those kids, only more because I don't have parents. And they're, uh, so you're there intermittently. You're not there continually. And so it is so important then to have people on the ground. That's why we have volunteers in Ukraine. They're the ones who get to know those kids and become their parents, basically. And I am then become an aunt. When I started this nonprofit, I was the mother, which I still am probably too close to 100 kids. But the goal now is I am no longer becoming a mother. I am just an aunt who visits, mm-hmm. and my volunteers are the parents. And you do visit? I visit a, regularly okay. three, four times a year. Wow. My next four. trip is in May, and I just actually got back last week. <sighs> so uh, <laughs> wow. a lot of visits, a lot of decisions, a lot of getting to know the kids, a lot of hugs, a lot of smiles, a lot of goofiness, a lot of serious talks, and you know, just guiding them. And uh, the relationship part of it um, – I'm thinking also because some of these kids, you may get to see each of your trips, but maybe you go back and you're aware that they've been adopted. Does adoption happen somewhat often or yeah. at least? Okay. I so. talk to them in America then. I have quite a few in America that I still communicate with. Okay. And social media, I'm sure even though it's Ukraine's, you know, we're far apart at the same time, the world's a bit smaller mm-hmm. and you're able to keep in touch that way too. Yeah. Yeah. They reach out to me now, not just me reaching out to them. That's great. And the age range you said like seven or... The hosting program, 7 to like 16, okay. but we work with every yeah, age group, okay. including, you know, the baby orphanage, you know, that that one girl was adopted from yeah. that actually opened the door for us, the baby orphanage. So now we go there and our volunteers play with babies. How can people pray for you? Um, wisdom on running this kind of endeavor. Yeah. <laughs> Finances, always, always important. There's always needs. Um, good hearts. Uh, volunteers in Ukraine, volunteers in America, and you know, just wisdom to manage time, to manage health, to manage everything that needs to be managed. Yeah. Are you encouraged overall when you look back and you think what yeah. God's done so far? When I look at eight years, it's incredible. It's incredible what one woman on a mission with two suitcases, and now I travel with a carry-on and ship everything in advance and have volunteers to handle everything. And how many t- lives we've touched and how many lives we've saved 
literally saved. We've had people who would have died if we did not step in. Hmm. And obviously, we don't have time for those stories, but you can find well, them on our website. Tell, can you tell me one that comes to mind? Um, sure. But before I do, in case we run out of time, we're working on a documentary. Last summer, me and my daughter, who was then 16, now 17, who loves making movies, we went together to Ukraine, and okay. we started shooting um, documentary really? with a lot of different interviews and looking through how evolved uh, the ministry you know yeah. from the beginning to now and our goals right now and what it was in the beginning and so um that will be sometime this summer that will actually be complete okay so and they can get that, that at the it website? will be linked to our website which is again marina's kids.info m-a-r-i-n-a kids.info you can also look up marina's kids on facebook too so yeah, tell so a story. story. Uh, I'll tell you a story about Sasha. Okay. Uh, he was two when I met him. He was in a hospital. His mother passed a few months before from tuberculosis, and he had gigantic hump on his back. They thought he had a tuberculosis of his bones in remission, and they were trying to straighten his back by tying him to a plaster-type a device that he would have to lay on 22 hours a day attached to. And so a nurse that has worked with us, because we already were present in that hospital, asked me if anything else could be done besides torturing a two-year-old by having him lay for 22 hours a day. And so we started looking into that. And while we were looking into taking him to a different specialist, he stopped eating and just was not feeling well, like not good. And so we took him to a specialist sooner who tested him, and he said he has an open form of tuberculosis. He's dying, and in about a month he will die, so don't worry. You know, There's nothing we can do, and just forget it. And, of course, that's a problem. He's in a hospital where he's coughing at everyone. He's breathing the same air as a whole bunch of children and nurses and doctors. So we had everyone tested. We sent him to a special hospital where they we paid for him to be, you know, to give him medicine because his father could not afford that medicine, a single father, and government wasn't going to pay for it. Yeah. And so uh, after six months of treatment, tuberculosis was gone. Then he had surgery a couple years later. Now he is a healthy nine-year-old running around and jumping and going to school. And I'm his fairy godmother that he calls me. Every time I visit, he comes, you know, when I'm in Odessa, I rent an apartment often. And then he comes for a day and just hangs out with me. And he's really funny because he's shy and hides behind his father the first half a day. And then you can't peel him off me for the second <laughs> half a day. I believe it. Wow. So, And that is the child who lived because we stepped in. What a story. And I, I as I think about it, you said the two suitcases and one person and how God has grown that. I can't help but think it back to that James one twenty seven verse, you know, religion, God, our father sees as pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. I mean, it's not even like, I wonder if God wants me doing this. <laughs> so the wisdom, like you say, how do you balance that with the, your own children and family and everything else? But God bless you. This is great. It's been great to hear your story and what God's doing. And we're glad to let people know more about it. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for inviting me. Absolutely. Marina James, Marina's Kids, marinaskids.info for info, M-A-R-I-N-A-S, kids.info. Also had Rick Gazzandi, owner of Remax Legacy in Chalfont on, uh, earlier, 25 years in his field, gave some good advice. If you're thinking about buying or selling a home, you can download the podcast at WFIL.com and help yourself to that good info of that show and all the other shows that have happened over the past six, seven months. Looking forward to being back again, Lord willing, for our famous Friday show tomorrow. In the meantime, Jim Maxim, Acts 413 Ministries, leads in prayer next on AM 560 WFIL.
Raphael. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.